Good afternoon. My name is Wendy, and I am a real compulsible reader from Sacramento. Delighted to be here. First of all, for those of you listening to the tape, I just want to say it is amazing. We must have 80 to 90 people here at a session on traditions. Outstanding, outstanding. I, I applaud all of you. A lot of times people don't go to the traditions, and this is really awesome. Um, I do <laughs> I do want to thank the committee. I think this is an amazing convention, and I see the, the seamless um, – uh, you know, all the attention to detail and the seamless execution, and it's amazing. And so I just really want to thank the committee, and I want to thank for being asked to speak here um, at any session of Overeaters Anonymous. Had, they asked me if I wanted to speak on the traditions. I said, yes, I love the traditions. The traditions are very important in my OA recovery. They're very important in my life. And then when I got the program, I saw they called it the 12 traditions. And I thought, seriously, are you kidding you're supposed to code it. You never say it's the 12 traditions because no one's going to come. That's like the kiss of death. Nobody wants to hear the traditions unless you're like us and we love them, right? You're supposed to say something like something from the traditions like dealing with difficult personalities. Everybody with resentment is going to be in that session, right? I mean, yeah, let's talk about those difficult personalities. Spoiler alert, I'm the difficult personality, and if you're like me, you might be the difficult personality, not the other person. But you're supposed to do something like that. So what are we up against? We're up against progress, not perfection. I don't know what they're talking about, but my disease here is, well, maybe there's something more I can eat that I'm not eating. Maybe there's another way I can work around something. I want to go to that session. And then 100-pound weight loss emphasis. I still think I need to lose 100 pounds, and I didn't even lose 100 pounds. You know, I just think 100-pound emphasis is like, wow, that's where the real winners are. I should be over there. So I want to applaud you for being here because the traditions are the cornerstone of our program, I believe, and I think it's really, really important that we focus on them here. Um, I do want to qualify a little bit, and then I'll do my best to talk a little bit about the traditions. My name, as I said, is Wendy H., I'm a real compulsive overeater. I am not a borderline case. I'm not someone that if you heard my story, you'd go, hmm, I wonder if she had a problem with food. Um, I really had a problem with food. I um, used to weigh 194 pounds, and I wasn't going to step on the scale today. I often will step on the scale to keep myself honest. And today I thought, well, don't step on the scale, because whatever the number is, that's not who you are doesn't affect what kind of person I am. It doesn't say what kind of soul I have. It doesn't affect whether or not, you know, I'll be able to carry a message today that is of service. Don't step on the scale. But I forgot, and I went to the bathroom, and the scale's right there, and I jumped on the scale. And um, thank God it was an okay number, right? Because God forbid it was a bad number. I'd probably have to cancel speaking or something. And, and, you know, I weighed 123 pounds this morning, and that's pretty much what I weigh now, you know, 122, 123 so by the grace of God and the 12 steps, I'm maintaining about a 70-pound weight loss, and I've been maintaining it for a long time. Um, I have been abstinent since uh, for 346 months and some change. I've been abstinent since August 3, 1989. And I am someone, when I came in here, I couldn't figure out how you would get through a day. I was so intimidated by people who had a year or two years. I couldn't imagine how you would do that because I couldn't get from point A to point B without eating. I had silverware in my car for emergencies because sometimes between the grocery store and the house, it was a really, really long drive. I don't know, four or five minutes, something like that. And so just in case I um, uh, had a bout of under-eating in that period, I had... um, I didn't really have silverware in my car. I had a spoon in my car. Um, Because anything else I could just cram in my face without silverware. But there's certain things you can only get so far in the container, you know, especially as it's getting a little softer as you're driving, um, without getting a spoon in there. So, you know, I would lie, cheat, or steal for food. I have lied, cheated, and stolen for food. I used to eat. um, I used to work in a large organization. I had a lot of employees. And I used to work really late because I was also a recovering workaholic. I don't... I don't work that program, but I am a recovering workaholic, and I used to steal the food out of the candy dishes of some of my employees late at night when I was working. And then I would have to run over to Safeway and backfill it. And if it was a bad night, sometimes I had to go to Safeway a second time and get food to replace the replacement food. 
um, because I, if, if it's there, I thought I had to eat it. Uh, I, you know, I'm the kind of compulsive overeater that eats everything on my plate um, and has the last bite of everything. And, uh, I mean, I drink all the water in my water glass at a restaurant. You know, I mean, I just don't leave with a sip of water left. So <laughs> I'm a real compulsive overeater. I'm not, like I said, I'm not someone that you would question. I wonder if she has a problem with food. I have um, had a problem with food since since I was a toddler. And I, I thank God I uh, came in here when I was 30, I think. I was 30. And so when I say I've had my lifetime supply of certain foods, it's true. I just packed them all in early. And, you know, I know this program, this is a, on the traditions, not on abstinence. But if anybody is struggling with abstinence or with a particular food, all I know for myself is that I don't have to have that food between now and the time my head hits a pillow tonight. That's all I got to do. I can pick it up and eat it tomorrow. There are no foods that have become extinct since August 3rd, 1989. Not a one. They're all still out there. I can have them tomorrow if I want. I just can't have them today. In fact, there's a whole bunch of new stuff that's been invented since I got abstinent that I'm pretty sure God said, whoa, we better get her abstinent because if they put these flavors together, I don't know if she'll make it. Um, so anyway, I'm really, really grateful to be absent and really grateful to be here today. I am not an expert on the traditions. Um, I am not an expert on Overeaters Anonymous. I'm not even an expert on my own story because I'm sure I still distort it and um, and uh, manage it, you know, in my own brain. But I I do want to do my best to share on the traditions because I love the traditions. And several um, now we're up to like 105 people. We've had several more people come in. I want to I want to read the first two paragraphs of what our moderator so beautifully read, and thank you for reading it, because um, I had planned on reading it anyway, and I just think, I won't read the last part in reference to our parent program, or I was at the um, Region 2 convention down in Palm Desert a few years ago, and there was a woman there who was a double winner, and she referred to the other program as the beverage program. So I won't read that paragraph, but let me read the first two, and these are the introduction of the 12 traditions in our OA 12 and 12. It's on page 89 of the second edition. It's on page 107 of the first edition that a lot of us still have the first edition as well. It says, when we first came into Overeaters Anonymous, we were focused on our own recovery. Most of us took the OA groups we attended and the OA fellowship as a whole for granted, not thinking much about how they operated and where they would continue to be there for us in the future. Soon, however, as we left behind our own dependence on food, we began to rely on Overeaters Anonymous. We felt it was our only safe haven, and we acted with fear any time we thought this fellowship might be threatened. Have you ever had a discussion at your home meeting about changing the location or the time or, God forbid, deciding whether or not chips should be for abstinence or time and recovery or some other term? Is that not the most frightening thing in the world when it's your home program or your home meeting? Um, I can so relate to this. My home group is the Saturday morning um, step tradition meeting, and I have been going there for 28 years and 10 months. And anytime we talk about anything really substantive, my heart still races a little bit. But you know what? We're still there. Still my home group. And everything always works out as God would have it be. And then the next paragraph is, um, Yet we quickly found that we did not need to be afraid for the health of Overeaters Anonymous. Overeaters Anonymous has 12 traditions that are designed to keep our meetings and service bodies on track, functioning in such a way as to nurture the recovery of all compulsive eaters who seek help in this fellowship. This study of the tradition shows how these 12 suggestions have worked to help individuals, groups, and OA as a whole solve problems, thrive, and be effective instruments for carrying the message of recovery to those who still suffer. And I'm so grateful for the 12 traditions. I've been very fortunate. I've been able to travel um, different parts of the country and in some cases even different parts of the world. And because of the 12 traditions, those meetings are still the same as they are here in Sacramento. And in our literature, as I read our literature, it specifically says that if a tradition is violated, I have a responsibility to speak up and say, excuse me, it's my understanding under tradition five or whatever the tradition is, that our, our, our practice is X, Y, and Z, so that I protect the sanctity of the OA meetings um, and just the way other people have done it for me. And I feel really strongly about this because 
there are many people here at this convention and in Overeaters Anonymous that are what I call first or second generation OAers. OA is only 58 years old. And there's a lot of people in the rooms this weekend who've been to meetings with Roseanne, thank you, who've been to meetings with our founder. I don't know if they were in meetings with Joe, our co-founder, but they were in meetings with Roseanne, our other co-founder. And so they, they've heard the message directly. And what I, care, I really want to make sure, because I've been given so much more than I could ever give back to Overeaters Anonymous, that OA, the OA program, is available 100 years from now. And 200 years from now, there are people coming in the future, and I want to make sure that the OA message is there. Not Wendy H.'s message. Wendy H. was 194 pounds and on the rise. She was not done yet. The Overeaters Anonymous message, and I think the traditions really help us with that. You know, it's my understanding that um, the Grapevine, which is an AA publication that's uh, sort of our equivalent of Lifeline, was written by Bill W. It started in 1944. And two years later, in 1946, Bill thought we should start to codify some of the traditions and um, the principles that were holding AA together. And so in 46, they published what we call the long form of the AA traditions. And if you've never seen it, just pick up an AA 12 and 12. I really like them. They're in the back. Um, and, and then in 1949, they, they uh, published the short form. And um, right, which is what we read in Overeaters Anonymous today. And I've been studying the uh, uh, an OA-approved book called Language of the Heart, which is every grapevine that Bill ever wrote. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it with three or four other women um, that have been meeting to read it. And in there, Bill talks about the traditions when they first came out. And he called them 12 points to preserve our future. 12 points to preserve our future. And what he said, and this is a Bill W. quote, AA unity cannot automatically preserve itself. Like personal recovery, we shall always have to work to maintain. So I believe um, that that's just as applicable for Overeaters Anonymous as it is for another program. OA unity cannot automatically preserve itself. Like personal recovery, we shall always have to work to maintain. So we have the 12 steps, uh, the 12 traditions to preserve our future. And for me, I mean, we've all heard the joke probably that, you know, the steps are. Uh, to keep us from committing suicide, and the traditions are there to keep us from committing homicide. Um, To me, one of the things that I uh, am very aware of is that the steps are all past tense. I came to believe, right? Made uh, a searching and foreless moral inventory. The traditions are all in the present tense. They're not in the past tense. They're in the present tense. And I think that's because I presently, right now, am interacting with people in my life and interacting with myself. And I have uh, relationship issues without the opportunity of having the 12 steps there. So I think they're in the present so that not only to protect the meeting format and the way Overeaters Anonymous meetings are handled, but to protect my marriage, to protect my husband from me. Um, and, you know, I ran a very successful business. I ran it according to the 12 traditions. I really did. I got up every day, rolled out of bed, did the third-step prayer, and tried to run my business according to the traditions. And I have a relationship beyond my wildest dreams today, and I had a business. Um, I still uh, have a part of the business, but I sold a lot of it off a few years ago. I have a you know business beyond my wildest dreams, and it's because I used the 12 traditions that helped me stay in integrity that helped me to be less selfish in relationships. Because um, my that's not my default. Uh, I, my, um, I was raised in a, in a good Midwestern family, um, and we were taught to work hard and be honest and to have integrity. But my parents didn't have a sense of spirituality, and my father had been abused uh, with some religious principles as a child, so we were raised atheist, not agnostic, atheist. Uh, I would say devout atheist. We uh, were taught to make fun of and think less of people who had any kind of a religious background, but that's because they didn't understand spirituality, right? So they were passing judgment on the trappings of the religion. And so I was taught to work really hard and to be responsible, but nobody ever said, and give back to the greater community. You're part of a fellowship. I mean, it's not just the OA fellowship. We weren't part in my family of a, of a homeowners association or uh, of a church or, you know, we just didn't have a greater sense for the larger whole. And so I don't think we were raised consciously to be selfish, but when you think your job is to work hard, then you're really, I was really focused on me. 
and not on the greater good. And Overeaters Anonymous has helped me grow up so that now I can be focused on the greater good. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing thing for me um, that, that I have that. And like I said, I certainly didn't have that. Um, and I thought I would just speak briefly in the time that I have on, on just two traditions because there's so many fabulous traditions, and you could, each one of them you could spend 20 minutes, and I have five minutes. So I thought I would speak briefly to Tradition 1 and Tradition 12. You know, and I guess I should actually read it. That would probably be good. Um, so I don't do it from memory. Tradition 1, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. That's really important to me um, for all of the meetings that I attend in Overeaters Anonymous. And I think that's pretty self-evident for all of us who go to OA. It's also really important to me in other aspects of my life. And I'll give you a couple of uh, examples. Um, In my work situation, probably eight or nine years ago, I had an employee that I had hired um, who wasn't working out, and so I, I was determined that I was going to make it work out. Right? I had 12 employees at the time, and I had one employee. It just wasn't working, so I thought if I tried a little bit harder, if I did something a little bit differently, if I whatever, fill in the blank, basically manipulate the situation, I could make it work. And I was frustrated, and I met with my sponsor one Saturday, and she said, how many employees do you have? Well, I got like 12 now. She goes, and how are the other 11 doing? You know, I totally forgot that my firm was larger than my relationship with this one employee, and I was over-focusing on that employee. And, my co- and the common welfare of my company had to come over. My ego and my desire to have a great outcome for this employee that I'd hired, who, by the way, in 29 years of being in, 28 years of being in business is the only one I ever hired that I knew from programs. She was a sponsee. And I had a lot of ego invested in making it work, and it didn't work. So um, that was a real gift. And then in my marriage, I just can't tell you how much I have come to believe that if our commonwealth should come first. So if something doesn't work for one of us, it doesn't work for either of us. That is a tough concept for someone like me, but I love it. If it doesn't work for my husband, it doesn't work for either of us. Without a way, I would have thought, well, sure, it doesn't work for him, but it works for me, and it's my life. Great. Or it doesn't work for him, but it works for me, and it's my house. Great. Um, Apparently, it's not my house. It's our house. Apparently, it's not my marriage. It's our marriage. And just this morning, um, he has an active alcoholic sister, and I've gone to another program longer than I've gone to OA. And um, my current joke is, uh, you know, I go to uh, Al-Anon because I want my husband to go to Al-Anon. Um, so anyway, I need to be an al for lots of reasons, but right now I have an active alcoholic sister, and, and uh, one of the other sibling members sold a house today, and my husband's comment was, well, I hope he gives the younger sister, I hope she gives the younger sister, you know, like $25,000 so she can get a new start in life. And I thought I was a spiritual giant, because I usually do think I'm a spiritual giant, and I said, well, I'm not even going to have a comment on that. Well, if you know me, that's not an innocent comment. There was lots of judgment and opinion, and what the hell would you? I don't understand how that works. One sells a house and get, I, you know, I had all. It was all there. If you know me, you know it was not an innocent comment. And I was able, without even having to call a sponsor or do any writing, to say, "Can we do a do-over? Can we do a do-over?" And I said, "Could you just say that again about how you hope they give your younger sister twenty-five thousand dollars?" And he said, "Sure." And he said it. I go. I hope that works out for her, or I hope that works out for them. And I gave him a big hug, and he totally was happy. Um, I hope he was happy. I was happy because I felt like I cleaned it up. That's what I mean by our common welfare. My having an opinion on a a sister-in-law, not going to help my marriage. Um, And then on the 12th tradition, I'm sure I'm going to run out of time pretty soon, it talks about personalities. Sorry, again, let me read it for the record. Um, the 12th tradition, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions. Every mind is to place principles before personalities. When I first came in the program, I thought that meant the principles of OA were more important than somebody out there who didn't get them. And um, a few years ago, I was uh, in South Dakota with my aunt and uncle, both of whom have more time than I do in recovery. And I made a comment that I was um, going to um, Palm Springs the next month to uh, be the Sunday uh, speaker at the convention, the Region 2 convention. And I 
had planned on flying in Friday afternoon and staying through Sunday afternoon. But I mentioned as my aunt was cooking breakfast, but, you know, I really would like to fly in on Saturday morning really early and, you know, save the money and there was something else going on on Friday at work. But, I, you know, I don't want to be one of those people that, like, flies in and speaks and flies out. So, but I'm out there all day Saturday and Saturday night and Sunday. And my aunt said, without even thinking, she said, well, that's putting personalities before principles. And the minute she said it, I knew what she meant. That was my ego worried about what people would think if I was only there for 80% of the convention instead of 100%. And that's really what principles before personalities is for me, is the principles of the program have to come before my personality. So I'm stopping. I would only encourage you, if you haven't formally worked the traditions with your sponsor, I have found that to be a very rewarding experience. Once you do the 12 steps, to then ask your sponsor if you could work the 12 traditions. Thank you very much for allowing me to be here today. Thank you, Wendy. And our second um, speaker is Judy. Hi, darling. This is your mother. Oh, wait, that was last night. <laughs> Hi, I'm Judy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Thank you for being here. Um, a lot of what I would say Wendy so eloquently already said, um, I, uh, in the spirit of rigorous honesty, oh, I just guess I'm supposed to talk into this, uh, I'm, I'm on the committee, and so nobody on the committee was asked to speak. We were the backup speakers. So when somebody was not able to speak, I was asked at kind of the last minute to fill in on, on the traditions. And conveniently enough, I happen to be working the traditions with my sponsor right now. So that was kind of cool, I thought, rather serendipitous. And um, so let me qualify real quickly. Um, I am a garden variety compulsive overeater. I have been in Overeaters Anonymous since uh, President's Day weekend 1980. And um, as I've heard somebody else say today, the only thing I did perfectly was I kept coming back. I never stopped coming to Overeaters Anonymous. I've never had a doubt from that first meeting that I belonged here. I was so relieved. I was so relieved to um, be able to say, oh my God, I, I, I'm powerless over food. I used to say, for me, I mean, it wasn't even a question. Me against the food was like getting into the ring with Muhammad Ali. I mean, I didn't have a chance. And that's, that's been my experience since as long as I can remember. Um, I've always wanted the most for my money and my calories. I've never been a gourmet eater. I am a volume eater. Um, I still am. I do not leave. Some people I know say they leave a bite on their plate for God. Sorry, God. <laughs> You're going to have to go to somebody else somebody else's plate because I don't leave anything on my plate. I eat my meals. I love my meals. And um, a lot of times I'll eat a meal just to be done with it. You know, um, I, I don't know about you. I got anxious in the lunch line. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not a completely recovered compulsive overeater and I still worry there won't be enough food. There was enough food. You know, even if there wasn't enough food, there was enough food. You know, some things were out. Oh, well, I lived, and there's always dinner. So anyway, um, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, I was somewhat over 200 pounds. I stopped weighing at 204. Um, I, given the kind of compulsive overeater that I am, if I were an alcoholic, I would be a gutter level alcoholic. That's the kind of eater I am. And so for me to pass as a normal size is totally, totally a miracle and evidence of the existence of a higher power. So, um, so you know, and, and I, I do not come from an alcoholic background. I do not come from abuse, you know, I had a 
I mean, I have, you know, my mom was, was a Jewish mother. She was kind of controlling. And, um, you know, what else is new? Uh, I was, a per, you know, I had a, good, I had a good upbringing. And my parents stayed together for 64 years, you know, at each other the whole time. But, um, you know, don't get in the middle of it because they had their own dance going, you know. And um, I was very fortunate. You know, I, I, I've been a very fortunate person in my life. Things did not go the way I thought. I never thought I would be 68 years old and I would be single. I would have worked for 40 years. I never had a kid. Um, that's not what I thought was going to happen, you know. But that's the life I got, and I have a great life. You know, there are trade-offs and everything. But... The kind of person that I was, I always used to look at what I didn't have. I was always aware of what I didn't have in my life. And as a result of working the 12 steps, one of the spiritual awakenings that I have had is that, and I always thought it sounded so corny to say, I'm grateful. And every day I write down things I'm grateful for. And boy, oh boy, it sure makes a difference in my life, you know, um... Recently, somebody broke into the mailboxes at my place, and so as a result, we had to go up to the post office for, for weeks to get our mail. And some people, some of my neighbors were really complaining about it, and what, something that crossed my mind was, I'm so lucky, I'm retired, I can go during the day, and the post office is really relatively close to my house. This is not a way that Judy would normally think, so... Um, Again, um, thank you, Overeaters Anonymous, and thank you, The Twelve Steps. And The Twelve Traditions, I, you know, and I've heard some people say The Twelve, the 12 Steps um, saved my life, The Twelve Traditions saved my marriage. I don't have a marriage to save, but um, it's had a tremendous effect on my relationship with other people. Uh, I have a very difficult relationship with my brother, and um, recently I spent... Four days with my brother. I did not kill him. I did not run screaming from the room. I did not yell at him. I was generous. I was kind. I was texting people like crazy about it. But, you know, all things being equal, um, it was a miracle that I was able to spend those days with my brother like that. And that's the result of this program. I've been marking things in the tradition, so this was kind of kind of cool. Um, so there was a few things that I did want to point out that I that I loved. Um, in one of the things it says in tradition one is it says what tradition one suggests is that we give other people's opinions a respectful hearing. Oh my. <laughs> I find that I can find that to be very challenging at times when I completely disagree with their opinion and I want to cut it right off. And so that that's been a real good reminder for me to, you know, it's like do that. In tradition 2, it says this is right towards the end of the of the and this is the the first the first printing of the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. It says, instead of arguing, sulking, nagging, or commanding, we learn in OA to state our needs and desires in an adult way and to let others tell us theirs, expressing our willingness to go along with any decision which takes everyone's needs into account. Oh, my. You mean to respond in an adult way when sometimes I just... I just don't want to. <laughs> so um, I, for me to go through this, through this book again, through these things, is, is just has been really helpful. Tradition 7, it says, We begin to look to our higher power rather than to other people as the source of our happiness and security. Boy, I, I had to make amends to several boyfriends from my distant past because I looked to them. They, they were the ones that were supposed to, to, to be the sun in my world. They were supposed to make me happy. 
You know, what they did affected how I felt. And uh, I, boy, this was an eye opener for me. There's one thing, there's one word that, so far, that I've come up with in, in the traditions that I actually would like to see changed. And I haven't looked in the new book to see if it's been changed, but in Tradition 7 also, in the, you know, there's a series of questions that it asks, and Tradition 7 is about being fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Do we expect every member of our group to take a turn at doing OA service work? I would prefer that it says, do we encourage every member of our group to take a turn at doing OA service work? Because expectations are going to kill me. You know, what's that part in, in the big book that talks about expectations being inversely proportionate to my serenity? Is that, is that, isn't it something like that? <laughs> okay. If it isn't, it ought to be. So I'm sure it is. I know it is because I would not, make, I would not be able to come up with that myself. So in Tradition 12... This, is, this was an important one for me because I'm, you know, as they say, the, the egomaniac with the inferiority complex. It says, as we continue to grow spiritually, spiritually, we begin to lose our desire for prestige in OA and in other areas of our lives. It is satisfaction enough to be in recovery, fully functioning and contributing as human beings. Wow. That... That's just a mind blower to me. Boy, oh boy, I'm not going to fill another 10 minutes. Is that okay if I don't fill another 10 minutes? I don't have to fill 20 minutes, do I? No. That's a first. <laughs> I mean, I could make stuff up, but, you know. Um, the, whole, the whole concept about placing principles before personalities, I get so sad in this world because, because in, in most situations, in politics, in, in, in life, in so many times, you know, people don't place principles before personalities. And um, it, it would make such a difference in this world, I believe. Anyway, um, I, this, I'm sorry. I hope, I hope that's okay if I close early. But um, there will be more time for sharing. So, anyway, thank you very much. Thanks, Judy. And our third speaker is Sam from San Ramon. I'm Sam Pierce. I'm a compulsive eater and alcoholic. I'm really glad to be here these hundreds of people in this room today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Wendy, wherever she went. Um, by the grace of God in the program, well, I was just thinking, actually, um, Wendy and Judy did such a beautiful job, I could just come up here and say what they said and sit down again. But that isn't what I agreed to do, so I probably should go ahead. Um... By the grace of God in this program, I have lost uh, about 125 pounds, and um, I've been abstinent from compulsive overeating, including weekends and holidays, by the way, um, for over 31 years. And quite frankly, I'm probably more amazed to hear that than you are. Um, I think it's appropriate that we're having at least the first two days of our convention in June, because uh, some of you may know that the, the birthday of the founding of the 12-step program is June 10th. Uh, it marks the date when Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith, the co-founders of AA, met for the first time at Dr. Bob's home in Akron, Ohio. So we're 83 years old this month. And no, I have not been in the program that long. So, um, so 
Bill came to Ohio and with his wife to visit friends, and um, Dr. Bob agreed to talk to Bill for 15 minutes. So Bill went in to meet with him, and as opposed to 15 minutes, they stayed up talking practically all night. When they finished early in the, in the early morning hours, they had agreed that they probably had, they hoped that they had a solution to the problem of their alcoholism. One thing they agreed upon was that it was a spiritual solution, and the other important thing that they agreed upon was that they could not do this by themselves. They had to work with other people. So, but, you know, Bill went back to New York the next day, and Bob was there in Akron. So they had to go out and actively look for alcoholics to help. And it wasn't easy. They weren't, they weren't successful at first. And then it did start to happen after a while. And some meetings started to form around the Northeast. Uh, Akron begat Cleveland. Cleveland begat Chicago. Uh, New York begat Philadelphia. Philadelphia begat Newark, New Jersey. I believe there was an early meeting in Albany. Boston came along shortly after that. And soon after that, the people in the meetings, these early meetings started to write to the founders in New York asking them questions. They, for example, where should we meet? Remember, these were the basics. Nobody had ever done this before. Where should we meet? When we do meet, what should we do? What should we read? What should we charge? And uh, so the founders uh, realized that there needed to be some set of some sort of guidelines for the program and the meetings. So they set about writing them. Bill did most of the writing. He took the lead, as he did in most things in AA early in the, um, in, in the beginning. And um, they completed the traditions. Uh, as Wendy mentioned, in 1946, those tra- traditions were published in the AA grapevine. And in 1950 at the National Convention in Cleveland, they were made a part, they were made a part of the official AA literature and protocol. So since 1950, they have been a part of our 12-step recovery program. Um, I'm to, going to take some um, excerpts from several of the traditions. And I'm going, to, I'm going to devote my time to the first five traditions only because I, those five traditions resonate me as embodying the spirit and the essence of the, our 12-step recovery program. What we need to remember, though, is that since we have been around in recovery in AA for 83 years and uh, OA since 1960, all of this stuff that we might might otherwise wanted to argue about and try to figure out what we're supposed to do about this and how do we interpret that, These have all been hashed out for us. We don't have to do any of that stuff anymore where it's all laid out for us by precedent. In fact, at the end of the first tradition, uh, and I'm I'm, I'm reading from the, the AA 12 and 12, which is I grew up on the AA literature. It says, on anvils of experience, the structure of our society was hammered out. And it was. It has been. That's what, we've, that's what we have. So tradition one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. And, 
right at the beginning of that tradition. It says, the unity of Alcoholics Anonymous is the most cherished quality our society has. Our lives, the lives of all to come, depend squarely upon it. We stay whole or AA dies. Without unity, the heart of AA would cease to beat. Our world arteries would no longer carry the life-giving grace of God. And that's, there's a period at the end of that. That is true. That is an absolute fact. It's not by accident that the founders placed unity and the common welfare of the group first because they understood that if we didn't stick together and we didn't place the common welfare then uh, above all else then we probably would walk away with nothing back to the lives we had before we started and it says later on no personal sacrifice is too great for preservation of the fellowship Never in 31 years in OA and 26 years sobriety in AA has my program ever asked me to make a sacrifice that was too great. Ever. And I'm quite confident that it never will because I believe given what I've, the gifts that I've gotten from this program, it's impossible to ask me to make a sacrifice that's too great. It's actually not possible. Tradition two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do, do not govern. A few years ago, I found on the internet something that I think was done by somebody in Northern California posted there and it's uh, it was a I think a metaphor for how this program how the uh, uh, a, a 12 step group as a whole works and what it was was an inverted pyramid of course with the tip at the bottom. And next to each level, ascending level, there was a label for it. And at the very bottom, at the tip of the pyramid, it listed the uh, world headquarters, world service. Um, and then ascending up the levels of the pyramid, it, it, lay, it gave other labels to the levels of organization the regional offices, and then above that was the local area intergroups, and as the and of course the pyramid got wider because there were more people involved in each ascending level, and they have had more responsibility and authority. So just under the base of the pyramid were the meetings, and on top of the base of the pyramid, at the very top level, were the individual members of this society, each person in every room in every 12-step meeting ever. And above the, in, the, the, media, the uh, individual members was the light shining down which represented God's blessing and warmth that he bestowed upon us. One ultimate authority, a loving God, his he may express himself, in our group conscience. Tradition three, the only requirement for AA membership is the desire to stop drinking. In an interview with a British journalist in 2011, our beloved late founder, Roseanne S., was asked by this journalist what she thought were some of the difficult issues that were presented to OA early in our history. And she said, actually, accepting um, anorexics and bulimics was one of the most difficult ones that they faced. 
and there was quite a lot of discussion about it. And she said she herself had a struggle with it. But finally, when she realized that every person who comes to this program of Overeaters Anonymous has a compulsivity and some dysfunction around food, it became, suddenly became clear to her. And she never had a problem with it again. Accepting, it says in here, accepting anorexics and bulimics was one. Okay. Uh, tradition three, some of the groups, that early groups in AA, that some of the questions they had, and one of the questions they had was, for the founders, was who should we admit? Because it wasn't a given that you could admit everybody. In the beginning, you couldn't even go to an AA meeting because probably you didn't know where one was. They ha you had to be sponsored in to a meeting. You couldn't just walk in. So they said, who should we admit? A drug addict showed up at an AA, early AA meeting. There was a lot of discussion about whether this person should be admitted. Maybe he will bring legal problems down on us. Maybe his other addiction will dilute our message. But finally, that was resolved, and he was admitted. Also, unfortunately, there was a discussion when two African-American men showed up at a meeting. Well, they don't look like us. They don't talk exactly like us. They don't live in our neighborhood. Should we admit them? Fortunately, that discussion was fairly brief, and that was resolved, of course, and they, uh, they did admit African-American people, of course. But the questions did come up. And finally, it says, we would neither punish nor deprive any AA of membership. We must never compel anyone to pay anything, believe anything, or conform to anything. Tradition four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other a groups or AA as a whole. And it says, any two or three alcoholics gathered together for sobriety may call themselves an AA group, provided that they, as a group, they have no other affiliation. This is one of the traditions that's really, really hard to understand sometimes. It's, it's hard to figure out. Okay, some examples. Years ago, I went to an OA meeting in Medford, Oregon, where they encouraged crosstalk. Yes. There's an, a men's AA meeting in Danville where they encourage, after the speaker is finished, they encourage members to critique the speaker, what the speaker said. Okay. Um, there's an AA meeting in Walnut Creek called All Spiritual Concepts where they also they encourage the speaker to bring in non-program literature and make it the subject of the meeting and it's a wildly popular meeting, by the way. And I went to an OA meeting in Chattanooga years ago where after each person shared, the secretary would give a little critique on your share. Okay, I know, but it, it's, it's true. It means very simply that every AA group can manage its affairs exactly as it pleases except when AA as a whole is threatened. Tradition five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Ladies and gentlemen, in my humble opinion, this is why we're here. This is why we are here. This is why we are present at individual meetings, and this is why we're all together here, this beautiful place, that these self-sacrificing people and the committee have put together is to carry the message of recovery to the person who still suffers. And this is also the tradition that has the greatest, the most uh, direct corollary to one of the steps because it relates directly to step 12, which tells me as an individual, this is what I must do. 
I must carry the message to the person who still suffers. And if I believe that if my program is working and I'm doing it right, this is where my program lives. Carrying the message to the person who still suffers. That's what I want to be doing. I hope that that's what I'm doing. Okay. We can do this because we're uniquely qualified. We share a common affliction and we share a common solution. So we are uniquely qualified better than anybody else in the whole world to carry this message to the person who still suffers. And, by the way, we seem to have found out that um, if we do this, we're more likely to keep the recovery program ourselves. I'm like, more likely to stay in my recovery if I carry this to somebody else. Okay, I'm going to tell you a brief story and finish with a, a story that I just read about a person who's probably never seen the inside of a 12-step meeting and I think a very good chance has never heard of the 12 steps. Nadia Murad is a young Iraqi woman who lived in a village in Iraq and in, which in 2014 was overrun by ISIS. The women, many of the women, mostly the young women, were taken captive. Simultaneously, they slaughtered most of the men in the village. The women were carried off, and we only know I, uh, Nadia's story, but she was subject to the most, the horrible things that we've heard about that happened. The most horrible emotional, physical, and sexual abuse that you could possibly imagine. She was sold from one militant to another. She found herself in Mosul, and one night she realized that she perhaps had an uh, opportunity to escape. So she ran out into the streets in the dark, really in the middle of the night, and she ran through the streets. And she suddenly stopped and thought to herself, what am I doing? I have nowhere to go, and I have no one helping me. What, what am I doing here? She stopped and asked God for help. She prayed. And when she finished that, she went right directly to the house that was closest. She knocked on the door. When they finally woke up and opened the door, she told them who she was and what she was doing there, and knowing they probably would turn her in, she'd be, she'd be killed. But they didn't turn her in. They sheltered her. And they hid her until they believed that it was a good time to give her a fake ID, drive her through multiple ISIS checkpoints and into safety in Kurdish-held territory. So Nadia finishes her story by saying that probably, given what's happened to me, I could justify feeling sorry for myself for most of the rest of my life and wondering why these horrible things happened to me. But I'm, I choose not to do that. What I choose to do is spend my life spend my life trying to help other people who need help worse than I did. So right now, she devotes her life to helping women who have had similar experiences to this. Why did I tell you this? Because even though this woman has had no contact, probably, with any 12-step program, she is living the fifth tradition. She is living the fifth tradition and helping other people when, uh, who have less and have experienced worse than she has. I want to be like Nadia when I grow up. So, it's a great honor to speak to people who are participating in their own recovery. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. And uh, the meeting is now open for three-minute shares. Uh, please sign the release form on the podium prior to your speaking, and we ask that you share for three minutes to, and confine your experience to your str experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. The session will end at 3.30.
Okay, I'm timing myself. Oh, first I got to say My name is Anne, Grateful Recovering Compulsive Overeater. I love the traditions. I love the traditions. And I do um, study the traditions with my sponsees. I think it's very, very important. It's, uh, you know, the second half of the book was probably the most unread pages in any piece of literature. Um, but it, they're just so, so important. And... Um, so the fifth tradition is about, you know, our primary purpose is to carry the message. Well, what is the message? The message is recovery from compulsive eating by working the steps and practicing the traditions. That's what the message is. And some of the rest of the traditions um, Talk about distractions from that primary purpose. You know, the 10th tradition is about outside issues. Well, that's a distraction from the message of recovery from compulsive eating by, by practicing the, working the steps and practicing the traditions. So it's really, um, this, this program saved my life. I don't want it to be ruined. So it's really part of my my job and all everyone's job to be familiar enough with the traditions so that I understand when they are not being followed and I know what to do when they're not being followed. In most cases, I've learned that people don't understand them and that's why they aren't following them. You know, to talk with somebody after the after the meeting to say, you know, um, it's an outside issue to talk about the book you read and the author of the book. But what you can say is, I read I read in this book, blah 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 blah. You don't have to give me the name of the book and the author. That's the outside tradition. What you gathered from the book and how it applied to your program. And the steps is not an outside issue. You don't talk about this. I saw this movie, da 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 da, and that. But you can say, I saw a movie. This came across. It touched my heart. It reminded me of the third step or whatever. So how did it apply to your program? When you when you get the, it's the specifics that are outside issues, not the concepts. And my time is up. Thank you. Hello, everyone. My name is Julie, a compulsive overeater. Hello, beloveds. Thank you, beloved speakers. <laughs> I love the traditions, but in the beginning, when I was new to program, I would go to sleep on them. <laughs> I was so, oh, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so I wasn't really paying attention. But the growth in me is that the traditions I like to use as boundaries. They keep our meetings safe. They keep our relationships safe. So I'm going to share an example of how I utilized Traditions 1 and 2 at an OA meeting that I attended. Um, so I was new to, new to OA at the time, but I'm in another 12-step program for years. So I was at this meeting, and they had a crosstalk rule that was very, in my opinion, rigid. And so especially for newcomers, like to say crosstalk, like right in the middle of their share, I've seen people not come back, and I know I'm powerless over if they come back or not, um, but I did not want to leave the meeting and not come back myself and pick another meeting. You know, So what I decided to do was face my fears, because if I don't face my fears, I will use food as fear. So I decided to attend the business meeting. And so since this was a group conscience already you know, made, this is what I said. Well, I applied our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. I went around the room and I said, can you please share your feelings about that crosstalk rule because I would like to hear your feelings and understand them. 
Now, I wasn't there to change it, but um, tradition two for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving higher power is expressed to our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. So a lot of times I'm so controlling is that I want to govern. So I had to fire myself as a higher power. <laughs> and so I went back and I asked everybody to share their feelings about it so I can understand. And so what happened, the group conscience did not get changed. It got altered. And it brought unity to the meeting. And so at the end of the meeting, people came up to me and, and said, oh, Julie, thank you for you know, being involved in bringing unity back to the meeting. And I came back to the meeting because I, I'm an isolator and um, I isolated meetings. And, <laughs> and so this is really, the traditions really help bring the unity to the program and it fires me from being a higher power. Thank you. I'm Carol, a compulsive overeater, and I'll sign this after I speak, so someone else can start speaking while I'm signing it. Um, it's really knocked my socks off a couple times in OA when everybody gets fired up. At, I've been to several regional things. I was on the board for a little while, and everybody gets all worked up about something, and it votes. It gets voted, and it's you know 60 to 40, and the person who brought it up says, I'm withdrawing it because it's not unity. And But, 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 but you know... Um, and what a what a gracious way to learn to live. Um, I've seen that I've been to a couple of uh, world service, and anybody can call the serenity prayer at any time. And when things start getting hot and heavy, and I'm invested in this, and it's got to go this way, someone will say serenity prayer, and poof, everything chills back out. And I saw a really interesting article a while ago in um, Lifeline. You know, they had articles in the back about the traditions and the steps. And it's probably step that uh, tradition ten. If you have to use capital words to describe what you've read or saw, it's an outside issue. Um, it's a real black and white way of saying, you know, um, unless it's AA approved, uh, which we are allowed to say. But if it's an outside book and I give you the title, pff, that's it. It's capital words, and I'm not supposed to bring that in. Anyway, thank you. I'm Julie. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm particularly unqualified to speak on this topic because my focus is generally in the big book per se or in general and the steps. But one of the things I really love about the program is the way it all links together and finding the relationships between the steps and the traditions and what the big book says um, and the general concepts, the principles of the program, humility. That's the one that I have to look at because I'm a big sister. I don't care if she gets car sick. I get the front seat. <laughs> and I have to practice humility in terms of my anonymity, that I am not the big sister I am just a member of the program. I want to be bossy. I have a little bit of a bossy nature, um, and I, I want to do that, and I, I have to keep it in check. I don't like conflict, so I do not like going to intergroup meetings. I don't even like going to meeting business meetings because if there's going to be any controversy at all, I'm out of there. I don't want to deal with it. 
I think that um, the the conflict is is difficult, and that at a twelve step program, if conflict starts coming into it, we must be doing something wrong. We're not listening to our higher power. We're not listening to each other. And so then a lot of times I'll recuse myself because I'll say something like, this isn't working for me. I don't really care whether we change the comma in this part of our format or not. I'll update the format for you. Let me know what you need. So... I know that the traditions are really important, but I haven't focused on them particularly much in my recovery. Um, and uh, I, I am so very grateful to have a, a panel of people who really have focused on that to, to share today and that I get to listen and learn. Thank you. We still have time if somebody wants to do a quick share. Okay. Um, that's all the time we have for sharing. It's now time to close this session. Let's thank all the speakers and all who have done service for this session. If you've enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop at the All-Star Media table to order copies of this session or any other sessions. All workshops and main speaker events are being recorded and are available on CD or as an electronic download. Please join hands and join, me, join in the closing step, the third step prayer, which you find on page 8 of the uh, program. to thee, to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help, of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works. Thank you, Lou. Good. <laughs> it was nice to sit on a panel with you. Thank you. You did a fabulous job. Oh, thank you. You did.